This morning's scripture will be taken from 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 3. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, it'll be on page 1053. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Thank you. Good morning. So glad to be here with you today. Glad nobody got washed away last night. Uh, we had quite a bit of rain, but glad that you have chosen to be here as we come together to worship God. We come together to encourage one another. Also thankful for those who are joining us on the live stream today. We're thankful you have decided to worship with us. I am uh, glad to be here. I spent Friday night, I drove to Faulkner University. I haven't been to Montgomery, Alabama, but twice in my life. And uh, last time it was to visit a family member in prison, so it was a little bit of a different trip. Speaking of the youth event, maybe not too much different, but uh, it was a great trip this time. And uh, I just thought about the last time I'd been down there, and I, as I was driving, I remember my grandmother, what my uncle wanted when he was there was fried pies. My grandmother's hardest job was to keep my brother and I from eating all of them before we got there. I remember the challenge she had keeping them from us, but... I'm thankful to be back. I'm thankful to be back from a, a great youth. Uh, they call it the AIM Conference there at Faulkner. Uh, about 650 teenagers, just really neat what's going on there. As you know that we are in the process of looking at uh, selecting more shepherds for this congregation. Beginning today, if you would like to nominate somebody to be one of our elders, ask them if they would be willing to do that. And if they would be, write their name that you're nominating them on a piece of paper. You sign your name to that and give it to one of the elders as we begin this process. I'm very thankful uh, for a, a thing that we're going to be doing this week. And thinking about seeking uh, new shepherds, what we're going to do is have a devotional week where every day in your email, and if you don't have email, uh, there will be hard copies available, now, there's going to be a devotional every day for you to think about what it means uh, for us to be selecting our shepherds. It is something I'm very thankful that Brian and Blaine have put together, and each day, beginning tomorrow through next Saturday, through Saturday, you'll be getting an email each day that it has uh, something to read and something to think about and something to pray about as we are getting ready to put uh, new shepherds in. So please be doing that. If you will, let's go to God in prayer as we begin. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful for you and your love and your kindness to us. Now, we're thankful for your church. We're thankful for you giving us a group of people to be able to assemble with, to be able to encourage, to be able to be encouraged by, to be able to share your message alongside of to change this world. Lord, thank you for your church. Lord, we thank you for shepherds and your wisdom, choosing to have congregations governed by godly men who rely first on you to help us, all of us, reach heaven together. Please be with this congregation as we look at selecting more. 
And help us this morning to open your word and see what it has to say. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. When we think about seeking shepherds, I'm sure that there are several things that come to mind. If we want that, we want a biblical eldership. We want the, the, the gospel, we want God's word to be what shapes our view of what a shepherd is. We want that to be the case instead of what we would think it would be. And so what we did last week is we looked at Acts chapter 20. We looked at, I, I believe, is the heart of a shepherd. Where Paul called the, the elders from Ephesus in and he wanted to meet with them. They made a 50-mile trip to meet with him and we got to see what an elders meeting, if you will, with Paul would look like. What Paul emphasized would be good for these men, that he, he encouraged them to be humble, men who will look at themselves, men that will look at each other, who will hold one another accountable. Men who are willing to work hard, men who are willing to, to care not just for the sheep that, 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 are, that are easy to take care of, but take care of all the sheep. Men who are loving, men who are alert and realize that they are guarding a vulnerable group of people. Men who will always rely on God and His Word. Men who will protect the flock. Men who will help the weak. Men who will be generous. And men who are tender-hearted. We see that, and I believe saw that very clearly last week, as we are looking for more shepherds to join our shepherds. Why would Paul tell the, that this group of men from Ephesus, he's talking to a group of elders, encouraging them in their work. And the thing is, Paul knew that Ephesus needed a healthy church. That is why I believe he sent Timothy to, to Ephesus later, and we read in 1st 2nd Timothy about his time there. But not only does Ephesus need a healthy church, Mount Juliet needs a healthy church. And as we've looked through, so far, as we've gone through 1st Timothy, a healthy church is one with healthy teaching. It is a place that has a healthy vision of Jesus. It is a place that is a place of prayer. And tonight, I want to encourage you to come back. We're going to have a, some special things tonight, I believe, as we start thinking about, again, appointing more elders, some, some things that I think will be beneficial. I hope you will come back, and it will have to do with prayer. But not only a praying church, it is a, a place that has healthy church leadership. That is what God wanted for the, for the church there at Ephesus. It is what he wants for the congregation here. So the thing is, what exactly are we looking for? What are we looking for? And I think that's a challenge for us to think about, where we're looking for men who are spiritually mature. That doesn't mean they are spiritually perfect. That those are, we're going to deal with some perfection things later. But men who are spiritually mature, and, and so many times when we think about spiritual maturity and when it means to put somebody in as an elder, we, we automatically run to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1 to look there. Can I tell you the list that we overlook, that we never should overlook, is the list that Paul gave for someone who is in Christ and is living a life of faith, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. When we are looking around, we are looking for, for men who are loving, who are gentle, who are peaceful, who, who are patient, who are faithful, who have self-control, who have joy, goodness, and kindness. See, those are marks of someone who walks with Christ. Can I tell you, if someone does not walk with Christ, we do not need them walking, leading a congregation. We want to see these things. I think this list is something that Paul also wrote. Again, it is someone who, who would walk with Christ. We want to see that. 
But also, not only is it someone who walks with God, there's some other things that Paul brings out in 1 Timothy 3. In 1 Timothy 3, he dedicates to, to the leadership of the church and what those things look like. And the challenge is when a preacher says, we're going to talk about elders, turn to 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, many of us who've grown up in the churches of Christ go, man, I've already heard this. Anytime we've put in elders, I promise you, we have gone over this. So what's our tendency? To tune out. Sometimes when we hear something we believe we have mastery over or we have already figured out or, or we are very familiar with, we have a tendency to tune out. I'm going to ask you not to do that. It has been said that familiarity breeds contempt. I don't, I don't necessarily think that. I think familiarity breeds infamiliarity. I think sometimes we assume we know what's being said there. But if God's love and God's word is new every morning, then I think we should look at it and open it up and see what he has to say. Let's look at what he says and realize that the challenge and realize this list was written to the church at Ephesus to choose more men in their eldership. Look at what a challenge it would be to be an elder at Ephesus. It is a place that is very wealthy. And why would that be challenging? Because that means there are people who will never see the need for the gospel. They will see material things as their source of comfort, as their source of stability, and not their relationship with God. Not only that, it is a place filled with idolatry. I'll bring this up. I, I, I put this. We live in a community where there are a lot of people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They worship differently. They may not see the Bible as authoritative as we do, but there are some differences. But we live in a community where there are a lot of places that see, if, if we look down the road to a, another church building, more than likely they believe Jesus is the Son of God. That is not the case in Ephesus. There are plenty of places to do idol worship, and can I tell you, the people there did not believe in the God of the Bible. What a challenge. What a challenge. There wasn't a place in town that if your people got upset with the way things were going, that there was another church of Christ down the road they could just bounce down to and still worship and still live out His will. It wasn't that case. It was challenging. It was a place that was very sinful. It was very worldly. It was a place where they had a worshipped goddess Artemis and Diana. See, there was a temple of Diana, and it was where they went to worship, and it had thousand temple prostitutes. That's what their worship was. And it wasn't looked down on by community, by the society in general. It was looked down on as normal. It was a place where there's a lot of false teaching. Guess what? Being a shepherd in Ephesus would be difficult. So when we think about that background, let's see why Paul would pull out some certain things to really emphasize about the type of men that they would be looking for to go on and be additional elders in Ephesus. Let's read this together. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an elder, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, Able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, and not a lover of money. Let's stop there just for a second. First, he tells Timothy, listen, if somebody is desiring and aspiring to be a shepherd, that's a really good thing. Why? Because somebody who is a shepherd should be someone who is spiritually mature. Guess what? I believe that every person, every Christian, 
should look at the qualities that we see in what the Bible describes as an elder, minus the being married and husband and one wife. You don't have to do those things to be pleasing to God. And those are the things that we should shoot for. We, we should all aspire to be that. So if someone is wanting to do that, realize that it is a noble task. It is a worthy work. It is a work that was given by Christ. It is there. It is what God has chosen to lead his church. And if anyone aspires to that, let them know that that is a good thing to want to be spiritually mature, not someone who wants to be in power. That's not what he's talking about. Verse 4 said, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if one does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may be become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, and that he may not fall into disgrace and to the snare of the devil. Isn't it interesting that Paul said these are must-haves? He must have, and we look at a definition for that. That means it is essential. It is critical, it is imperative, it is indispensable, it is necessary, required, vital, or mandatory that the person that we're looking at has the characteristics that are listed here. We don't get to pick and choose which ones we like. It is mandatory. He, he says that, and one of the first things he says is that he is blameless. I believe I have read this wrong most of my life, blameless or above reproach. Because I have made it its own category. What blameless means is that, that if somebody makes a charge against you, it cannot stick. Really, if somebody makes an accusation, it can't lay hold of you. Abraham Lincoln said, live in such a way that if somebody accuses you of something that your friends won't believe it, your enemies can't prove it. It's sort of that thought that an accusation, people can always make accusations, but it doesn't stick. I believe the entire list here is what it means to be blameless. He's going to talk about being blameless in your marriage, being blameless in your attitude, being blameless, in, and realize if we look at through that, I think it may be a little different, but I think that's actually being true to what the text says. It doesn't say be perfect. I can't imagine how intimidating it would be to have your name put up to be a shepherd, especially if you believe that shepherds are to be perfect. And what if a congregation expects the men they put up to be perfect? One, they expect something that God does not. It's something that we're not looking for perfection. We are looking for faithfulness. We're looking for men who, when they do mess up, they fess up. They are people who repent. They are people who go on, who mourn their sin. It's not about looking for perfection. What we're looking for as we look at this list uh, is their ethos. That means it's their character. It's who they are. And when we think about them blameless and, and their ethos, there's certain things there. It is very, it's very challenging if we just take this as a checklist and go, okay, 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 okay. We can miss the whole point of what he's talking about. What are we looking for? It says we need somebody who's a spiritual leader at home. The husband of one wife says he must manage his own household well. With all dignity, keeping his children submissive. Titus chapter 1 says the husband of one wife and children of believers are not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. I believe many times we've missed the point about what he's talking about here. It's not simply somebody's just married and has kids. 
If we do that, we have reduced it to the lowest common denominator. It is not about somebody who got a woman to say yes and was able to be fertile. Yes, they, they must be male. That is inherent in what is being said here. But it's so beyond this. I don't even think it's about someone who's only been married one time. Y'all follow me this morning. Leave your songbooks up. Don't throw them at me, okay? I, I want us to listen. What, what is he talking about? I've heard many debates about, well, can they only be married one time? Uh, is, is it somebody who, who has one child or multiple children? I think when we get hooked up on this, we have missed the point of what he's saying. What he's saying is, is he a faithful husband? Can a man be a faithful husband whose wife has died and he remarries? Yes. Can a man be a faithful husband who's married to someone, his spouse cheats on him, uh, marries someone else, he, he has a scripturally right to remarry, remarries somebody else and continues to be faithful to them. Have they been a faithful husband? The word does not mean that they've only been married one time ever. That is not what it means. I've also seen people try to use this to say, this means if a man is serving and his wife passes away, that he must step down. That's not what it says either. One, this is a list for men you put into the eldership. There is not a list that I know of when a person must resign. Think about that just for a second. Paul's saying when you're looking at people to put in, it's right here. I've heard people argue, not, not here, but different places, that if, if an elder is serving and, and his wife passes away, then he must resign. And I go, well, I go, why? Because he's no longer the husband of one wife. I go, was he a faithful husband? That's what's in question. And my next question is, what if his children die? Is he no longer a faithful father? See, when we go to the Bible to answer questions that it didn't necessarily address, we'll come up with whatever answer we want to. We're talking about men that go in here. Uh, in my opinion, what would disqualify a man from serving as an elder who's been put in as an elder? One, if they are not, no longer able to do the work of an elder. Maybe mentally they can't do it anymore. Physically they can't do it anymore. But I will tell you this, I would suggest it would be moral failure that would be something that would take somebody out of the eldership. It would be sinful. Something they would do that, and, and be unrepentant of that, that would be something that is there. What are we asking? We're asking is, is this person a spiritual person, a spiritual husband, a spiritual father? Do they have a stronger influence on their family than the world does? I believe that's what he's asking. Do his wife and children respect him spiritually? I don't know uh, if this has ever taken place, but it hit me as I was reading through familiar verses, if you will. I wonder if any eldership has ever sat down with a potential elder's wife and children and said, tell me about your husband and your, your dad, and what do you think of them spiritually? That's part of it. Is he a spiritual leader at home? And see somebody, again, not perfect, but, but you know that loves God and loves you and has done everything to try to help you to live right. So I know that there can be rebellious children. I, I, I have, I'm aware of that. There's nobody that has more rebellious children than God does. But would they say, you know what, our father loved God and loved our mama, 
loves the church and loved us and wants us to do right. See, when you're looking at this, and, and he says, why does it matter that he's a faithful father and a faithful husband? He's, uh, Paul says the reason is because if they don't know how to manage their own household, how will they care for God's church? It is the crucible, it is the training ground for being a leader in the church of our Lord. Here's one of the scary parts. If we were to drop down to verse uh, 11, there's qualifications for elders' wives. It says, The wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things, respectable, not a gossip or a liar, even killed, alert, faithful to God, their husband, children, church. That is what I see there. Sometimes what can disqualify a man from becoming an elder is who he's married to. And it's important for us to think about that as we look at people. Is there, uh, is there a wife, someone who is also spiritual? Realize the gossip, liar, uh, all these different things that are there, faithful in all things. That means do we see the fruit of the Spirit in there? Do we, know, do we see that they love God, love, their, love church, love their husband? Do we see that? Are their children what? Are they obedient? Are they people who are faithful to their dad, not perfect, but faithful? Are, are, are they believers? That's what we see here. We're looking for men who are spiritual leaders of their home. Secondly, what are we looking for? We're looking for people who are spiritually mature and spiritually minded. Paul said that they must have, they must be sober-minded. That means they're a clear thinker. They have good sense. They are alert. Their, 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 their mind is not muddled. It is something that they are, are able to make good judgment. Why? Because so much of what they're going to do is going to be based on discerning God's word and discerning God's will and being able to deal with people. He goes on to say they must be self-controlled. That means they're not governed by their desires. That should go along with spiritual mature, someone who has the fruit of the Spirit, not by their desires, not by the things they want. He goes on to say that they're respectable. It's funny, the word respectable is the same Greek word we talk about cosmetics. I do know that there are those here who buy cosmetics regularly. I don't think you need them. I'll just go ahead and say that. But many of you would not leave the house without putting your face on. I have heard that terminology, right? Why is it important for somebody who's going to be an elder to be respectable? Because you put a face on the gospel. People are going to judge the church on how they see you. And I, I'm sorry that's tough, but same goes for preachers. <laughs> really, same goes for all Christians. People will think this church is as good or bad as you are. It's as loving and kind or, or welcoming as you are, so it's important they are to be respectable. We're looking for people who are spiritually minded. Also, it says that, that you're looking for people who what? Love their neighbor as themselves. The, the word there is hospitable. They're friendly and generous. They, they're what? They, they receive, they're willing to receive and be in the company of others. How they treat guests and visitors or strangers, there is something about a shepherd that is to be hospitable. For some of us, uh, the word hospitality, I think, has changed over time. During the time this was written, men would go out to the city gates. If there was a, somebody who was visiting in town, whether they knew them or not, it wasn't like there was a Super 8 in town. There wasn't a Holiday Inn Express there on the corner in Ephesus. 
They would welcome strangers in their home, and anybody who come in would expect to be treated like family, be given food, given a place to stay. There's someone who loves other people. The great commands from, from Jesus are what? To love your Lord, your God, our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I believe that's what he's talking about here. That you're hospitable, that, that there is a generosity and a love, and, and when you see people, you, you, you see people, every person is created in the image of God. And you love them and you want to make a difference in their life. So not only that, so we're, we're looking for people who are apt to teach. You remember what's going on at Ephesus? They're going to have to be able to deal with false teaching. That means they have to have a knowledge of God's word. They have to have a courage to be able to speak it, a willingness to be able to speak it, and an ability to speak it. So many times we think about speaking has to be up front, up here all the time. And I'm not necessarily sure that's what it means. I'm not saying it necessarily doesn't mean that. But I will tell you, it's someone who has the ability knowledge-wise, willingness-wise, and courage-wise to speak against false teaching, not only publicly, but to be able to sit down with someone and show them where they are what wrong and show them how to be correct. See, we see this. Why? Well, we have to realize at this time, many of these congregations did not have preachers. You know, Paul was able, Paul had a hard time preaching at a church if he were where? In prison. He was there a lot. So many times it was the elders who would be the preachers. They would have to know God's word and be able to do this. And he's saying when you put someone in, make sure they have the knowledge and the courage and the willingness to be able to speak up for God by using his words. Also, what are we looking for? It's interesting, Paul has a long list of things that a person must have. Then he goes through and says, there's some things they must not have. These are some characteristics that there is a zero tolerance for. So there's no way this is something you want an elder. First thing, he says, we don't want someone who's given to wine. I think given to wine and being sober-minded stand in stark contrast from one another. Somebody who would do something that would destroy their thinking versus someone who is to be alert and someone who, who is to be a rational, logical, godly thinker. I think those stand in stark contrast. He also is someone who is what? We don't want someone who is power hungry. He, he, he says this, he said, not someone who's violent, but what? Gentle. If you see the eldership as a place of authority and a place of power, then you have misunderstood what the Bible talks about. Again, I said last week, one elder by themselves, I don't believe, has any authority. They have influence and eldership has the authority God gives them. You are a part of a group, and, and I, I would say that what we're looking for is people who play well with others. I hate to say it that way, but y'all understand, right? They can get along well with others and realize that we're talking about the good of the group of God's people. They're not someone who is violent, because there are some people who get their way by being a bully. You ever met somebody like that? I hate to say this, but in the church, I've heard the term a lot of times, boss, elder. You ever heard that? You've probably used it. Some of you may have been in a congregation that you know that unless this one person approves it, it will not get, get approved, no matter how many elders there are. Some congregations allow one person to have veto power over everything. 
And so we don't want people who go in demanding their way, who, who use being loud or having a fit or being passive-aggressive to get their way. We want people who are gentle. Why would a shepherd need to be gentle? What are sheep? On the, when you think about the, uh, when it comes to the, uh, the eating cycle, are they way up on the predator list or the prey list? They're prey. If a shepherd acts like a predator, the sheep will run. It's just one, I read a book this week and one of the throwaway lines in it said, when you act like a predator, don't be surprised when people act like prey. You ever heard this? When you act like a hammer, you see everything that's a nail as a nail. You know any people who are hammers? They're going to get their way. They're going to drive it no matter what. He said, we want people who are gentle. Jesus talks about this. He talks about if you go to remove a speck in, in, in your brother's eye, you've got to make sure that you remove the plank that's in your eye. Oh, I thought this was a, a, a weird but pretty, pretty cool visual of that. He's got a set of tweezers wants to remove the splinter from somebody else's eye. Can I tell you, if I go to an eye doctor, I want someone who is very gentle. Because if they do it wrong, it'll blind me. Gentleness is there. We want someone who is not argumentative, somebody who is not quarrelsome, somebody who does not love to fight. I sit there and think, uh, Paul talks about this in 2 Timothy. He said, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient and with difficult people. Not someone who loves to argue. Not somebody who's a lover of money. Not someone who's greedy. The elders have to have a lot of discernment. One of the things will be with what to do with the contribution. And someone who is greedy, it, it may not be that they want it all for themselves, but somebody who's a miser won't see the opportunities when it comes to giving and supporting things and taking care of things. This is not a novice. It says, don't put someone in who's a recent convert. Why? Because it's very, very easy for them to get puffed up and to be arrogant because now they are a, they're, they're an elder and they could go to thinking they're in charge if they don't understand that being a leader is about taking care of people and being a servant. Titus uses the term not self-willed. Interesting term. Very interesting term, and, and, and it means somebody who will not listen to anybody else. You know, if you were riding a mule or you're in a, 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 a carriage being carried by a mule, if you want to go left or right, you can pull. The Bible talks about being stiff-necked. Stiff if you won't listen and won't follow the directions and won't allow yourself to be swayed, that is not what the Bible wants. You want someone who will listen. Who will listen, who is willing to hear all sides and listen to the truth and is not always about doing what? Doing what they want. Paul talks about this as, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain glory. Rather, in all humility, value others above yourself. That is what he says, it's there. And also it's about someone who is what? Has a good reputation with those who are outside the church. It's sort of bookend 
front and back with being blameless. Being above reproach. I love what Rosa Parks says. She said, if you want to be respected for your actions, then your behavior must be above reproach. If our lives demonstrate that we are peaceful, humble, and trusted, this is recognized by others. If people you work with found out that you were a leader at your congregation, would they be shocked? Would they have a negative view of your congregation based on you? I think that's tough. See, as, as we're looking for elders, I, there's, there's one thing I, I, I want to talk about right here before we end. Yes, there are some must-haves, things that we must have and must not do. And we don't do want someone who's blameless. That means the things do not stick to them. When we look at their life, how they treat people, their families, we want to make sure that they are people who love God. But also realize when we think about their character, there is no one who's perfect. There's no one who's perfect. Next week, in the next couple of weeks, our, our elders will get up and present to you some names. And you will have the opportunity to have a scriptural objection. I remember one time a a lady objected to a man going in as an elder because when he was 16, he got a speeding ticket. (laughs) I am disqualified. Um, All right. That's an immature view. What's more surprising to you that the Apostle Peter preached the sermon on Acts 2 where 3,000 were baptized or that he was an elder in the church? Peter, an elder. Can you believe that? The same guy denied Christ three times? The same guy that cursed and swore that he didn't know him. The same guy that when they came to arrest Jesus did what? Pulled a sword. In the book of 1 and 2 Peter, he calls himself a fellow elder. I think it's very important that we give people opportunities to mature and that we are also people who are very forgiving. If we didn't do that, nobody would ever be qualified. Ever. Ever. We're looking for men of character and men of faith. And I'm excited about what the future holds for this congregation. I know the caliber of men and the families we have in this congregation, not only now but in the future. I believe it is important that those men are willing to serve and willing to realize what it is God wants of them, that we take this very seriously in our prayers, in our thoughts, and in our practice. That we want to see people and we look around and go, all right, who is a leader of people? Who do I look at and I see that they have love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, self-control, joy, goodness, kindness. Who is it I see with that? And, And that is what we want to see, people who are living spiritual lives as we look for shepherds. Be with us. We ask God to be with us. And again, be back tonight. I believe tonight can be really good for us.
as we think about this and as you start to submit names, men, as you think about whether you want to serve or not, we need men who will aspire to that office, to that role, to that role of servanthood. Just as Peter needed to be forgiven, guess what? So do we. There may be those who are here this morning who are not yet Christians, and, and we want you to have that opportunity to be forgiven by God, to be baptized for mission of your sins, become His child. There's nothing greater you can do today than that, and I hope that you would do that. It also may be today that you say, you know what, I want to draw a line in the sand. I want to start today walking closer to God. I, I've been a Christian. I, I've walked away. I've slipped. I want to make Him the priority of my life again. I'd love for you to pray with me. Or maybe that you're struggling. And you want us to surround you, encourage you, and pray with you. We would love to do that. If we can help you with these things, would you come now while we stand and while we sing? Oh,